Today's reading is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. One of the fun, uh, things that's really fun if you plant a church in East Berlin is that you get to see and witness people encountering, hearing, and sort of diving into the gospel for the very first time. So a lot of people in my generation in East Berlin have obviously grown up completely atheistic in an environment where they have never been to church, never heard the gospel, never have thought much about Christianity. And so it's fascinating to just witness how people see the gospel the first time, and oftentimes I feel like they see it much clearer than I do. (laughs) And so recently I've sat down with a girl in our congregation And uh, she's been coming for a year now. She's never been to church before that, never thought about Christianity before that. And, And I was sitting down with her. I was asking her, well, you know, where are you at in your spiritual journey? That's how she would describe it. And she said, well, I'm really intrigued, you know, by the sermons. I'm really intrigued by the Bible stories, by Jesus, by the gospel. But I have realized that I have a very big decision to make. Because if I the way I've grown up, you know, and everything that I've believed so far. If I start believing the gospel, if I start following Jesus, everything in my life will change. And that was fascinating to me to think about and to hear from her. Because what she was saying is that if she starts believing the gospel, it's not that, you know, she changes some things in her lifestyle, I don't know, some moral things, or comes to church more often, but it actually literally everything changes. The the way she looks at the world, the way she looks at herself, the way she looks at her life, everything will be different. Because basically, what happens when we start believing the gospel is that we enter in a new story. We enter in a new story. And that's what I want to be looking um, at with you this morning under three headings. First of all, how stories uh, shape our lives in general. Then the story of the gospel, which I think is perfectly summarized in this psalm. And then the third point, how we can make the story of the psalm our story. First of all, how stories shape our lives in general. One of the things that you need to know if you ever interact with a German is that we hate small talk. (laughs) If I don't know you, I don't want to talk to you, okay? So it's really awkward. We don't know how to do it. We're just not good at it. So, So there's a few nightmare situations every time I come to the U.S., For example, flying on a plane. It's my absolute nightmare situation. You have these people next to you. They're all really friendly. They just want to strike up conversations, and I really don't want to talk. So uh, normally, you know, I put on headphones or I pretend that I just don't speak English. (laughs) But every once in a while, you know, you meet someone who's actually interesting, and so we start having a conversation. And uh, it's interesting to me that sort of the conversations always work the same way. First question is, well, what brings you to your destination? What brings you to L.A.? And I'll say, well, 
I'm a pastor, you know, and I'm visiting friends here in LA. They'll say, oh, you're a pastor. Okay, well, how did that happen? So I'm like telling the story of how I became a pastor. And then finally, of course, the question I always get is, well, you, you know, you're a German, but your English is fairly good. How did that happen? So then I tell the story of, well, we actually learn English in school, you know, and, um, and then I married an American, so that certainly helped. But basically, as I, ref- as I was reflecting on what's happening there, is basically we get to know another person by hearing their stories. And if you think about it long enough, actually, all our lives basically consists of stories. There's a story for every area of my life. There's a story about me and my job. There's a story about me and my home country or where I grew up, the town that I grew up in. There's a story of me and women that used to be interesting. Now I'm married. (laughs) And then there's a story of me and Berlin. Like, how did I come to Berlin? Why do I still live there? And of course, all of these stories are really important to understand, to help you understand why I do what I do and why, you know, I am who I am. So, you know, you might look at the outside about the, uh, of the, uh, on the relationship that I've just ended, and you might say, well, this was a great girl, why did you end that? Well, of course, if you hear the story, I've been with a girl before that had sort of similar character traits, and that didn't go well, so I broke it off with this girl once I saw, oh my gosh, that's sort of the same pattern. Or someone might look at your life and be like, well, why do you still live in L.A.? Your job is really crappy, you live in this tiny apartment, like, that doesn't make any sense. But of course, it makes a lot of sense if they know, well, you've grown up in a small town, Minnesota, so anything is better than still being stuck there. (laughs) So we live sort of in a lot of like bigger and smaller stories that, that shape our life, that affect everything we do, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. Now, what's interesting, if you think about it, is that these stories that we tell ourselves are not set. They're not set in stone. I mean, surely you have a few facts that, you know, you have to put together into the story, but it's basically the interpretation of these facts that make a story. And so you can have actually two people that have experienced more or less exactly the same, and yet they will tell you radically different stories about their life. For example, let's say we have uh, three actors sitting this morning in this congregation. I don't know whether that's true, but, but maybe three actors that have been through roughly the same. They've been trying for years here in L.A. to sort of land a bigger role, but they just haven't succeeded so far. And and it's basically the thing that's happened to all three of them. And yet they could tell vastly different stories. One person over here could be sitting as an actor and say, well, I've tried for years. It doesn't work. Obviously, I'm just not good enough in this area, and I should pursue another career. The second person could be sitting here and thinking, well... I haven't succeeded so far, but that's because they're all idiots. You know, they just don't recognize talent when they see one. So I'm just going to do my own thing, you know, become an independent filmmaker, and the world will see how great I am. The third person will be sitting over there saying, well, it hasn't worked so far. It's just because I haven't found a role that really works for me, so I'm just going to keep trying, and eventually I'm going to become the next Harrison Ford. People will have been through the same thing, but they tell vastly different stories. And that's true for other areas in our lives as well. For example, there's this church in East Berlin. (laughs) It's called Projekt Kirche. It's been going for two and a half years. There's like 40 to 50 people attending. And you could tell vastly different stories of what's going on there. 
You could tell the story of that there is this church who's just trying to survive, who didn't grow fast enough, who's sort of in, on the edge of failing. Or you could tell the story that this is a miracle that this church even exists. In a neighborhood where no one believes anymore, like it it's, it's makes a huge difference that this church is there, even though it's maybe not the success story that people were hoping it would be. Which story are we going to tell ourselves? Which story is it going to be? Now, as all of you know, that is not a thing, you know, in theory that's nice to think about. It actually has very practical implications because those stories we tell ourselves will shape what we're actually going to do. The actor will either continue to try to get a big job or change his career. And the pastor that I've just talked about, which is me, <laughs> um, will either go to work very depressed every morning and feel like he's a big failure, or he'll go to work with a sense of excitement, with passion, with a sense of importance. So in summary, you could say we live inside stories, and those stories shape radically how we think about ourselves, about our lives, about the things we experience, but those stories are not set. Rather, we put the facts together into a coherent story, and sort of we make that up. Which, of course, brings us to the question, <laughs> how do we come up with our stories? What are the deciding factors about which story we're going to tell ourselves? And I've been thinking about this for a while, and I've, you know, at, at first I thought, well, maybe it's a personality issue, so there's more optimistic people, they will tell optimistic stories, there's more pessimistic people, they will tell pessimistic stories. But then I actually got curious, and I did a little research, and there's a great article in the New York Times that has been uh, posted there in 2007, which is called, This is Your Life and How You Tell It. Fascinating article, you can Google it um, and read it. But basically, it tells you know, the story about scientists who've been looking into this whole area. How do we come up with the bigger stories that we tell ourselves? And I just want to read a little excerpt um, of that article that sort of explains what these scientists have come up with. It says in the article, Any life story is by definition a retrospective reconstruction, at least in part an outgrowth of native temperament. Yet the research so far suggests that people's life stories are neither rigid nor wildly variable, but rather changes gradually over time in close tandem with meaningful life events. Taken together, these findings suggest a kind of give and take between life stories and individual memories, between a larger screenplay and individual scenes. The way people replay and recast memories day by day deepens and reshapes their larger life story. And as it evolves, that larger story in turn colors the interpretation of the scenes. Or to put it another way, what these scientists have found is that yes, your stories are shaped by your temperament, but even more so they are an interplay between the current events, the things you experience right now, and a larger story we tell ourselves. And as long as nothing majorly new happens, we interpret the, like, the current events through this lens, through the largest story that we feel like is the story of our life. And just to make an example for that, you can go on a date, as I've done in the past a lot, 
and you feel like you know it's been rather average date not a, not 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 a great connection it's not the person that you want to grow old with and so you sort of you know forget about it it's okay you move on but then a week later this person still hasn't called you two weeks later this person still hasn't called you and eventually you start spinning you start asking yourself, why does this person not call me again? And you start getting really upset. And like months later, you still recognize or think about this event as one of those painful rejections where someone just doesn't want to be with you. And you could look at that from the outside and wonder what's going on. But of course what's going on is that you've put this one event and put it in the larger narrative of your life, which is I'm going to be single forever, no one ever likes me, and so this event becomes proof of the underlying story you've been telling yourself all along. Or another example that I uh, have experienced, and I'm sure Lou has too, as a pastor, you have all these people <laughs> that come to you and tell you how you should run your church. And they really have no clue. They're like not, not pastors, they're not theologians, you know, but like they feel like they know everything of how to do, you know, your business. And you wonder what's going on. But of course, what's going on is that they're, for example, successful business people. And so the story that they have in their lives is, well, I know how this world works. I, you know, I've been successful here. I'm probably successful here. And so I can tell Alex how to run his church, even though they might have no clue. <laughs> but basically, this is where we've arrived now that there's a few fundamental convictions that we have about ourselves, a story that runs through our life. It's like a lens through which we look at every individual thing that's happening in our everyday lives. And the question, of course, is, what's the story that you believe about yourself? Who are you? What's your story? Are you a disappointment? Are you this massive failure where like the burnt toast in the morning is just proof and the perfect example of how you screw things up over and over again? Are you a mover and shaker that always gets things done? So in most discussions, in most things that are happening, you're right, even though you might have no clue. Are you a victim of parents, of your spouse, of society, so it's always somebody else's fault? Are you the sunshine that's liked by everybody? So if someone has an issue with you, you don't even know what to do with that because that's, that's, that, that, that never happens. What's the story you tell yourself? What's your narrative? It will shape who you are and how you live your life. Now, some of you are sitting in here and thinking, well, you know, that's great. Thank you, German dude. You know, tell me about life stories. But, you know, I thought you were supposed to preach about this psalm. You know, where's the connection? What has the whole life thing to do with the, the, the narrative thing to do with your psalm? But here's the answer. I think it has everything to do with this psalm. Because I think that's exactly what this psalm is. It's a life story. It's a narrative that David has sort of found for himself and that we can find for ourselves if we actually take our faith seriously. Because here's the point. If you read this psalm, I don't know about you, but if you read this psalm, you feel like that sounds very, it sounds very nice. <laughs> it sounds very, we, in, in Germany we'd call it, it sounds rosig, it means rosy, you know. It's just, ah, uh, I mean, this guy must have had a perfect life, like, you know, so many good things that are in the psalm, but the reality is, if you look at David's life, his life has not been rosy at all. 
He started out as a shepherd boy, somewhere in the countryside. Nobody cared about him, not even his family cared about him. Then this prophet came by, anointed him as a king. That wasn't great. It was a huge problem because there was another king who then, you know, tried to kill him for years and years. So David was on the run constantly for the majority of his life, basically. Then finally he became king. But that was good for his country. It wasn't so good for him. Like the, the issues just continued. He had an affair with the wife of one of his soldiers, and that was a huge mess. So he had to kill that guy, like big mess. And then one of, this, one of his sons actually started a revolution. So again, David was for years and years on the run, running from his own son. I don't want to say he had a story like yours and mine, <laughs> but it's not an easy story. It's not a rosy story. And yet David describes his life with sentences like, I shall not want, or my cup overflows, or goodness and mercy shall follow me. In other words, the story he tells himself about himself is not that he's a man on the run, but that he's someone who's found a home. And that he's not the one who's always cast out but he's the one who's been taken in. In other words, what's happening here is that he puts himself into another story, a story that trumps all of his stories that he's tell, told himself so far, and it's become the main story, story of his life. That's exactly what we have in this psalm. The story is that he's found a God who's like a good shepherd to him, who cares for him, who guides him, who never forsakes him, and this God is also like a wonderful host who showers him with food and drinks, who invites him to live with him forever and to have this God in his life. That has become the major story through which he looks at everything that happens in his life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now let's make this practical for a moment. I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you're in a hard place right now. Maybe you're stuck in a job that you feel like is going nowhere. Maybe you feel like there's been so many dreams that you've had and you missed most opportunity. You always wanted to be one of those NFL stars and now you're 40, it's not gonna happen anymore. <laughs> Maybe you're in a relationship that you're just not happy with. And then you go on Facebook. <laughs> And you look at all these perfect pictures of all the lives of your friends. Happy wife, happy job, happy crazy journey, you know, been going to Egypt, now going to Malawi. Like, it's just like they have this amazing life and we're tempted. And I'm tempted to compare myself and wonder in these moments, what's wrong with me? Where's my life going? It could be the story of me just being the one who had failed, who wasn't of any significance, who had, you know, not a good life. But then this psalm tells a different story. It tells us the story that we are guided, that God is with us, that there is a purpose in where you're at right now, that God has put you in the place where you're at right now, in your job, in your relationship, in your friendships, and there's meaning to that. And that doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. You know, it talks about the valley of death. 
but it means that God is with you. The God who runs the universe is in control of your life. So there's purpose to it. There's a sense to it. This could be one way of how the psalm shapes our story. But then maybe that's not your struggle. You struggle with something else. You might just struggle with what we've said before, that you're still single and you're in your 30s and you feel like I'm always being overlooked. And that is sort of maybe the story that you tell yourself. But then again, the psalm tells a different story. With this second picture where this like exquisite dinner night where David says I'm, says, I'm spoiled with food and drinks and I even get a hot head massage with oil, which basically says there is someone who cares deeply about me, who sees me, just me, and wants to spoil me. Even though that might not be a husband or might not be a wife at this point, but there is someone, and he has good gifts for me. And I feel like that applies too if you're in a relationship, if you're in a marriage where you feel like, well, you know, this is good, but it's also so hard, and you wonder whether this is the right place to be. Well, the story that the psalm tells is that God gives us good gifts. He gives us good gifts. He blesses us with good gifts, so there's something good in the things he gave us. But in some of us, we look probably back at our lives, and we see a few key moments where we really screwed up. You feel like you've made the wrong decision when you were 18, or you broke in someone's trust horribly when you were 21, or you didn't get that master's degree because you didn't start study hard enough, and so basically your whole life is a mess now because you've screwed up this one time or this several times. And that's basically the story that we expect David to tell us. He's had an affair. He, like, killed a guy. <laughs> but then, interestingly enough, even in that regard, he tells a different story. I don't know whether you picked up on this, but he has this beautiful metaphor where he says, grace, goodness, and mercy follows me. It follows me. Meaning I do the mess, and then goodness and grace come after me. And they take this situation, and it doesn't have to be the thing that screwed up my life, but God can even turn my mistakes and the horrible things I've done into something that in the end turns out for good. So the major mistakes I've made, I can regret them, but they don't have to be the defining things in my life. God can turn them into good. Goodness and grace are following me. That's the story. To summarize, I think if you actually believe the gospel, this psalm is the narrative that God has written over your life. This is what's actually going on. And to be a Christian means to continually think your life through that lens, see your life through that lens. Which brings me to the last point. How can we enter into this story? Because that's, of course, the question that's left. <laughs> and that I would be wondering if I was sitting uh, right there. It's like, you know, this is great in theory, and, you know, I know theoretically that this is sort of the story that's through my life. You know, God is in control, and God cares for me, and God can even clean up, you know, some of my mess. But practically, how can I enter into the story? How can I make this story my own? And I think, actually, 
there's a hint in the psalm about how we can do this. And it's not in the content, but rather it's in the form of the psalm. See, if you look um, at this psalm in combination to other psalms that we have in the book of Psalms, then you realize pretty quickly that this psalm is differently. If you read through the psalms, you have a lot of psalms that are sort of, you know, coming up with emotions. So you can see someone's just been going through a hard time and he writes a psalm. Or someone has just had a great experience and he writes a psalm. But this job, this, this psalm is different. It's not one of those instant, you know, responses to something that's happened, but it feels a lot like it's been written at a desk in reflection of life, where someone, David, had time to think about his own life and eventually wrote that story. Whenever I read this psalm, actually, I imagine David sitting in an armchair, and he has his pipe on the left hand, and he has a whiskey in the right hand, of course, a historically correct picture. And, and he sort of looks in the distance, you know, he's old and seasoned, and he looks into the distance, and he says, kids, I've been thinking about my life, and this is what happened in my life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, this is a special kind of psalm. It's a meditative psalm one that needs time to actually sink in. It needs your undivided attention to actually, so that it can actually unfold its power and do the things it's supposed to do. It's kind of like eating in a five-star restaurant, you know, where you can, of course, like, take the food and, like, swallow it within five minutes, but you'll only get to the good part if you take every bite and you just enjoy it and you bite on it for a very long time. And I think that's something we've lost as Christians, to actually sit with scripture and to meditate it, on it and to let it sink in, but I think that's actually what, we're, what we can do and what we're supposed to do with this psalm. To maybe read it every morning and to remind ourselves that this is the big story that's going on in our lives and to rethink what's been happening yesterday, what's going to happen today through these lenses. I think that's how it can help us. So that's one thing we can do. But then the other thing we can do is that one of the things that's really beautiful about our faith is that we're not by ourselves in our faith. There's other people in this room, all of us, who basically have that same narrative, that same story. And so I think this psalm is actually a great opportunity to not just read it for myself, the Lord is my shepherd, but also to read it for you, the Lord is your shepherd and to actually help each other to see our lives through that lens over and over again. So what does it mean for the people that you're in a small group with, for the people that you have a friendship with, to actually remind them and help them see that this is their story as well? I think that's another thing we can do with this film, is to make it a story that we tell about other people. And that's actually what you have done with us by supporting us from the beginning, by praying for us, you have said the story about the church in East Berlin is not the story of a struggling church. It's the story of a church that's really important. That's what you've basically done by supporting us, by praying for us, is that you've shaped our narrative. This is so important that we want to give prayers, that we want to give finances, that we want to be behind them. So you've actually already done one of the ways that this psalm can encourage us. Amen.